0: So tonight, I'm glad that you're here to join us. Um, I hope and I pray that you'll be blessed by God's Word. I know that you will be, uh, not because of me, but because of who it comes from. And so I just ask the Lord, I've been praying for him to just speak to your heart as he has spoken to mine tonight as we dive into Luke chapter 7. So if you want to open your Bibles there, Luke chapter 7, we're going to be in the last 14 verses of the chapter and I want to, well, as you turn, and you can just uh, answer this question in your head. It's a big question. Why do you love God? Why do you love God? Now, we're here Sunday night, Super Bowl, uh, and so I know why you love God. I, I, I believe I do. I, you love God because he's forgiven you of your sin. You love God because he has taken you from the, the, the pits of hell and trans, and. Moved you into the realm of heaven. You love God for who he is. That he never leaves you and never forsakes you. That he walks with you in the high of highs and the low of lows. We know, I think I could say that I know why you love God. I know why I love God. I know what he's done for me. And I love to tell people about Jesus because of what he's done for me. But the next question really is more important is how much do you love God? Not just why do you love God, but how much do you love God. So in our uh, passage tonight, Jesus gets at this particular point about how much we love God. And what he's going to show us here is, is it's not just about, uh, what he's going to show us here is how much we love him. It's based off of what we have done, uh, what he has done for us and how we understand that relationship and what, that transaction and, and the things that he has done for us. So just um, last night, our Sunday school class, about 20 of us gathered, 20 young married couples gathered, and we had a little Valentine's dinner. It was so just great. It was the first time our whole class was able to be together. You know, we're, we're young married with little kids. Someone's always sick, you know, and it keeps us out, but we were all there together last night. And uh, after we had such a great time of fellowship and just eating some wonderful food that Britt and Paul uh, Griggs prepared for us, it was fantastic. We sat in the circle in their living room, and uh, some of us are newer to the group, and so we kind of shared, um, you know, our name, how long we've been married, but then the most important part that uh, was, I don't know if it was planned, but it was just the best part, was to share w- one thing that you love most about your spouse, okay? Well, When that was said, we all are like, Gosh, that one thing. What is that one thing that I love most about my spouse? That's, that's a big question. And there were so many wonderful answers. And as those answers were shared across our room to, of why we love our spouses, why we love each other, honestly, it, one, it opened my heart and my eyes to, to different aspects of the people in our class that I didn't know about. But then those that I did know well when their spouse said that about the other, I was like, yeah, that's why I love them too. They're just great people. She is the the sweet, the kindest person I know, and, and he really is the most humble person that I can think of. And so those qualities of why we love, but it's more than just why we love someone, it's how much do we love them? How does that love overflow and live out in our lives as well? And so let's look at this tonight. Because Jesus wants us to see, I believe here, he's recorded, uh, Luke has recorded this in Luke chapter 7. And this, you know, the gospels, a lot of times there are some parables and stories that overlap in all three gospels or maybe all four, just a few times. This is only recorded here. And so we get this special glimpse of what Jesus um, teaches us right here in Luke chapter 7, um, verses 36 through 50. And Jesus wants us to see how we love him is based off of how much he has forgiven us. We have to understand the forgiveness that he has given us. So really, um, not that I'm going to impart any just crazy amount of wisdom. I'm not that guy. There are wiser people in this room than me. I can guarantee you that. But I really think that Jesus gives us this passage as a key for unlocking unlimited love for the Lord. He's giving us a key for unlocking the unlimited love for the Lord. And so if you want to love the Lord more passionately, listen tonight. Luke chapter 7 verse 36 says this, Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. And now when the Pharisee, who had invited him in, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. So I want to stop there. I want to dissect some of this first dialogue that we have going on, and then we're going to move into the next half of this passage. So first off, who do we have here? We have a Pharisee. We have Jesus and a sinner. How often do we see that in the Gospels? We see Jesus with Pharisees and sinners, and a lot of times all together. And it, oftentimes, the Pharisees are being contrasted with the sinner. And so Jesus is here, and he's been invited into the home of a Pharisee. And the Pharisees, they never did things on, the, on a low level. They never did anything quiet. They wanted everyone to know what they were doing and what they were up to. So he invited Jesus into his home, and there would have been other Pharisees and other people of equal stature there in his house to receive Jesus, to dine and to, to enjoy a wonderful meal. And uh, as, as they, uh, Jesus comes into the home, it says here that a woman, there was a woman in the city... Who was a sinner? Now we know we're all sinners, but this is a particular sinner. It would be translated in in "immoral woman," more than likely one of of, uh, of a prostitute or something along those lines. Someone known for living outside of the normal standard of morality. And so she hears that Jesus is in town, and it says that. When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. So I can just see that someone's like, hey, Jesus is at, the, at this Pharisee's house. And she's like, what, really? So she has to go back to her house, get this alabaster vial of perfume, and then she's going to bring it back to the Pharisee's house to do something that probably most of us would not have done. Okay? Just to be honest. I don't think I would have done this. I don't think I would have thought, Jesus is here, let me go get something to anoint him, and then I'm gonna cry over him and use my tears to wash his feet and my hair to, to clean it up and, and to anoint him with the perfume that I have. So this woman, she was a sinner, but she showed great courage to come into this man, this Pharisee's home among the men that were present. That took a lot of courage. She had to really believe that Jesus was who he said he was in order for her to step foot into that Pharisee's house. And the perfume, who knows where she got that money? You can probably guess where she got the money to pay for this expensive perfume and this alabaster vial that was known for holding luxurious oils and perfumes and ointments. And so she takes it and she brings it here. Now there's a similar account, uh, something of similar account in Mark chapter 12, uh, 14 and John chapter 12 where Mary, the sister of Martha, anoints Jesus uh, before uh, leading up to his uh, death and resurrection. Uh, she anoints Jesus there. And, um, but this is a different account. But in that account it does talk about her also having this alabaster vial of pure nard. So we don't know exactly what is in this Woman's vial of perfume, but we do know that the type of vial that it was wasn't something just to hold the common old ointment. Okay, this is something that's going to have something of value inside of it. And so she has her expensive perfume and she comes in and it says the word weeping. She's weeping. She wasn't just like a little sad, she wasn't just a little emotional, but she had tears. Weeping, enough tears that would wash the feet of Jesus. Dirty, desert, uh, dirt road feet uh, that wear sandals. The feet, okay, anyone like feet in here? No one really likes feet, but these are dirty feet. I mean, they don't have socks, they don't have closed-toed shoes. But she uses her tears and her hair and a perfume to weep and anoint Jesus. What was she weeping over? Here's what I want to get to. What was she weeping over? Likely her sin. In the presence of Jesus, who she has come to know about, who she has begun to hear about, is in her city. And she knows it. She brings these things to him. And she comes into his presence. And all she can do, she may not have planned to cry. She probably didn't plan to cry. She, she was bringing the perfume to Jesus. But she gets in his presence. And what is the response? Weeping. Weeping. Being in the presence of Jesus and seeing her sin in front of the Savior, weeping. And she has this marvelous, wonderful, just time of worship. This is an act of humility and and worship. Her hair was a towel. Her tears were the medium of water, of liquid to clean. She used her lips to kiss feet and she used the perfume to anoint. I didn't say this when I started, but I've, I've, back in the beginning of the year, I started a new Bible reading plan, and Luke chapter 7, is, it's a chapter of the New Testament a day, and it started in the book of Luke. And so by the second week of the year, I was in Luke chapter 7, one a day. So far in seven days, I had been able to keep track with my Bible reading plan. And so I'm there, and, I, and I'm reading this scripture God is just like, Justin, how much do you love me? God, Justin, how much do you, what would you be doing for me in that moment? And so as I read this and in the weeks to come, and then when I was asked and I was told, hey, Justin, this is your sunny night, you know, it has nothing to do with Valentine's Day. I just felt the Lord led this to me and I wanted to share it with you. And so she wept over her sin. So the question here is, I don't have points, but the question here is, how do you respond to Jesus? How do you respond to Jesus? I mean, we don't get him in the flesh, but when you hear the gospel here at church, we're believers, I think, I would say, I could probably bet that most of us in here, all of us in here, are believers, and we're, we're going to heaven one day, but how do you respond to Jesus? if he, He's not here in the flesh, but when you hear the gospel... When you're in Bible studies and fellowship, in Bible fellowship classes and different things of that nature, when you, when you hear music that lifts up Jesus in the truth, how do you respond? I can tell you it's not always weeping for me. Sometimes I'm not even listening. Sometimes I'm out of focus. I'm out of tune. But the gospel of Jesus needs to be changing us. Jesus changes us. Jesus let this woman touch him. That was a big deal because they knew who she was, and that would have made him ceremonially unclean. It would, it, it, and so let's keep moving here because I'm going to run out of time. The Pharisee says to himself, Jesus, Jesus hears his thoughts, okay? This spoke to me too. It says, the Pharisee who had invited him, he said to himself, is this if this man were a prophet, he would know who? And what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. It's just a reminder for me, it's like Jesus knows my thoughts. It's not just like what I do, but it's the heart and the thoughts that I have that make me unclean, that make me um, unworthy of him, that he knows that. But Jesus, as we're about to see in this next half... As this man, the Pharisee, says, if he were a prophet, Jesus shows that he was a prophet, and he shows that he was more than a prophet. Because here in a second, he's going to tell this woman that her sins are forgiven. That what she was known for was no longer going to be what she was known for. And so that's what the gospel message does. So let's continue on in Luke chapter 7, verses 40 through 50. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, Say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one he forgave more. And he said to him, You have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And you gave me no kiss, but she has since the time I came in has been kissing my feet. And you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins... Which are many have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. This is a like this. This stuff right here is the good stuff. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. As I was reading this, and I was thinking of a way to just kind of illustrate this, uh, my son Brantley's sitting over here, and he's being so good. Um, He's five, and my daughter Mary Blake's two and a half. And um, Brantley is obsessed with Power Rangers um, and Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, like going back to '95 and '96. He loves Power Rangers. He has action figures that are every action figure of a Power Ranger that is this big. And this big, and he has uh, the blue ranger, the blue ranger costume, and the red ranger costume. We have the Power Ranger, of course, on Netflix. That's where we started watching it. But we also had the Power Ranger movie. We've kind of ventured out and done some other things. Needless to say, uh, oh, also I should say, this is it. I mean, throughout the day, you can find him just like kicking the air and doing all kinds of crazy spins and kicks and flips. And I mean, he wants to be a Power Ranger. Okay, that's a cool dream. When I was five, I wanted to be a Power Ranger too. So maybe I'm living through him as well. But He loves Power Rangers. Mary Blake, she also likes Power Rangers. I mean, not as much as him. She's two and a half. She has a pink ranger costume. She wants to play with a pink ranger. Um, She wants to have the pink ranger zord and all that kind of stuff. So it's more about pink for her, but she'll sit down and watch Power Rangers Brantley. I mean, it keeps her attention just as much as some of the shows she likes. And so, as, as you know, siblings, they kind of get into fights and fusses and arguments, and they kick and hit and bite and scratch, and those things happen. It doesn't matter if they're a few years apart or 15 years apart. I mean, that kind of stuff just happens. And so, you know, that, that happens in our house. That's just a real, that reality of our home, is that there's going to be some skirmishes that happen, and there's going to be victims, and there's going to be tears. Well, I do, do need to give a disclaimer for this because this exact scenario hasn't happened, but a similar punishment has been given. That Brantley um, and Mary Blake, if they were fighting and something happened and I sat them down and I said, Brantley, you know you're not supposed to do that. You, you have to love your sister. You don't hit your sister. And Mary Blake, you have to love your brother. You don't bite your brother. You don't do those things. And so here's the punishment. Brantley, sorry, buddy. But I, this is—I mean business here. Five days of no Power Rangers. No watching them. No playing with them. No pretending to be them. No dressing up like them. Don't even play with your friends at school with Power Rangers when we can't see you do it. And then Mary Blake—just two days of no Power Rangers. Okay. Two days of no Power. Rangers. She she doesn't like it as much, and she's younger, so her punishment's not quite as drastic. And so, I given the punishment, and I just see, I've given this punishment, but not for this scenario. I just see the face, just, just, just the whole, just counting just counting it's just false. And then Brantley, I leave the room, and I just say to myself, you know what? I think they just learned their lesson by the punishment I gave. So I go back to them, and I say, listen, if you, if you know I mean business, I will, I, I take your, I, I just, I'll take your punishment away. Neither of you, you can both have Power Rangers. There's no more no Power Rangers. You get Power Rangers now, okay? You're good. Which one of those two do you think are just going to be like jubilant that they did not lose their Power Rangers? It's going to be Brentley, right? He is going to be, I mean, and he's going to be running and jumping all over me and hugging me and just going crazy. This has happened before um, when, when Power Rangers have been taken away and we've, kind of lessen the punishment or whatever. So we've experienced that in our home. He's going to love me more because what I have forgiven him of meant so much more to him. And in return, his love for me is going to be greater because he's not experiencing that punishment anymore and that condemnation and that lack of Power Rangers. The same is true of us. If we just see, I am going to fast forward here. If we just think about our lives... And our sin as just, God's forgiven me of my sin. And that's it. That's a, that's a big deal. But if we just think of it as, yet yeah, God's forgiven me of my sin. Our, what's our love going to be like for him? But if we say something along these lines, that, God, I know I've sinned against you. And even if my only sin was telling one lie. That's enough to separate me from you because you are a holy God. Because of that right understanding of him and yourself, your love for God will be much because you realize how much you have been forgiven. You see, the level of forgiveness that you have received, we've all received equal forgiveness in the Lord. But it's your understanding and it's your application and it's your belief of that sin that he's freed you from. It doesn't matter if you're uh, one lie We'll send someone to hell as quickly as one act of murder, okay? We, we know that sin has a level playing field. In our world, of course, we punish it in different ways. Uh, a lie shouldn't, you shouldn't go to jail for a lie and you shouldn't go to time out for murder, right? So there's, there's different uh, levels of accountability in our lives. But just one sin puts us in the category of needing forgiveness. But how we view that sin and how we View God in relationship to us in our sin will affect our love for Him. And so Jesus gives that parable. And what I love about that parable is that He doesn't have to give the answer because it's being played out right in front of them. Who do you think is going to love Him more? It's not the one forgiven more or less. It's really, is it her or you? Is it you, Simon the Pharisee, or is it her, the woman that's a sinner? Who's going to love me more? So, I'm about to just wrap this up with this, is that, church, I know that we love Jesus. I know that we love, I know, I know I love Jesus, but how much do I love Jesus? How much has he really forgiven me? How much sin has he really taken away? How, is it just that he took away my sin? Or did he take me out of the pit and put me into a righteous relationship with him? What was that transfer? Was it just forgiveness in the sense that we view forgiveness in the world? Or is it a complete change of life for us? So let me leave you with three points. Number one is just one sin, as I said, puts us in the category of needing forgiveness. We know that all have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory, of God. So one sin puts us in that category. Number two, our God is a gracious forgiver. We need to hang on that. If we just get hung up on the sin, we'll be in trouble. We have to remember who our God is. Our God is a gracious forgiver, and He requires nothing in exchange from us to receive it. Nothing, because there's He can't require anything of us because there's nothing that we can give Him. There's nothing that I could muster up and save up or do that would earn his forgiveness. And so we, we just, as a result of love, we, uh, of his love, we receive his forgiveness. But then as a result, we love and worship and obey him for what he has done for us. And then number three, preach the gospel to yourself daily to guard against self-righteousness, and to increase your love for Him. That's what the Pharisees' problem was. We all, I think most of us here are probably biblical scholars, goodness. We know what the Pharisees were known for. It was their self-righteousness. And the only way to guard ourselves from self-righteousness and thinking that we are doing pretty good and getting away from what Jesus has done for us is to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. Because we need reminders. If you go to my desk, In my office, I have sticky notes everywhere on my computer and right where I work. I have the things I'm working on just kind of sitting around so I don't forget about. I'm not a forgetful person, but I like to have these things to remind me. I have these things sitting around. I have an app on my phone that I have a to-do list on. I have my calendar that keeps me on track. I love reminders because I need reminders. And we need reminders. We need to remind ourselves of what Jesus has done. The gospel is that Jesus died on our behalf to free us from the condemnation of our sin, and he puts us in a right relationship with our Father, the Creator. And he did this because he loved you and me. But the gospel requires action. The gospel requires us to not just preach it to ourselves, but then to live it, to admit it, to believe it, and confess it. That's what we must do. Because I, and I want to just warn you of this. Because this is the warning I believe that God wants to give, He gave me, and He wants to give us, is that we can become, that we have a potential to become the church of Ephesus and Revelation, who lost their first love. We all run that potential to lose our first love when we are, when we become, when we start to look at, um, when we start to look at ourselves and think we're doing pretty good. When we start to just be, we're living our life and we're doing what we think we should do. We have this, just, that's just what we're, that's the, that's the direction that we are prone to go if we're not resting in Jesus and preaching the gospel to ourselves each and every day. So, in closing, a little reflection. What has Jesus forgiven you of? What has he forgiven you of? What did he shed his blood for? Did he just die for your sin, or did he die for you? And I think that's what we need to linger on. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this so powerful word from your word, God, that just reminds us of your, uh, your, your love, God. Your, your love is unmatched, The forgiveness that you give us is unmatched, but you want us to live in that forgiveness, to rest in that forgiveness, to trust that forgiveness. And then, as a result, we will just see love overflowing and and pouring out of our lives for you that goes into this world, that meets the needs of our neighbors and our community, that spreads your gospel message. So Lord, as you convicted me that morning as I read this chapter and as I've lingered over it well over a month, God, that you you want us to love you. You want us to love you because you have first loved us. Thank you for first loving us. I ask this in your son's name. Amen.